John chapter 2 and verse 17. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal, zeal for your house will consume me. Let's also look at Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 6. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And, notice this, and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So we read in John chapter 2 that Jesus entered into the temple complex and he violently overturned the tables of the money changers. You know, sometimes we say, well, what would Jesus do? Well, he could get violent. (laughs) That's what he did that day. He overturned the tables of the money changers and with a whip that he had fashioned, he drove out those who bought and sold merchandise in the temple. Why? It says because he was zealous for God's house. Hmm. And the Lord is also passionate about the welfare of your house. Just as zealous for your house as he is for God's house. So what God wants for his spiritual family, he also wants for your natural family. See, we don't want to be people who have great church services and lousy lives. We don't want to come here and say, oh, it's like a little bit of heaven, and then go home and it's a little bit of hell. What we have here, we want to have during the rest of the week. What we are here, we must also be outside of these four walls. Can I get an amen? Praise the Lord. The contemporary English version says this in John chapter 2, verse 17. My love for your house burns in me like a fire. Jesus loved the house of God deeply, and so should we. I said, so should we. If you love the Father, you love his family. And if you don't love his family, you don't love God near as much as you think. And if you love his family, you love being with his family. You say, well, some of the members of God's family are kind of weird. Well, I know you're also among them, but, you know, that's how families are, but we have to work it out. The advantages of staying together far outweigh the disadvantages and the detriment of being alone. Amen? My love for your house burns in me like a fire. Now, through Christ, we just read, we are his house. So that means the Lord loves us, and he doesn't love us theoretically or theologically. His love for us is ablaze. And because he loves us so intensely, he will aggressively make changes in our lives and forcefully alter the way we live. We are his house. And as a son over the house of God, he has the right to rearrange the furniture in our lives, even redecorate, maybe even throw everything out. Hallelujah. So there are some things and there are some people the Lord will drive out of our lives. Are you listening to me? If you hold on to the things God wants to remove from you, you won't be able to receive the things God wants to give you. Let me say that again. If you hold on to the things that God wants to remove out of your life, you won't be able to receive the things he wants to put into your life. Hmm? The longer you entertain what is not from God, the longer you postpone what is. 
The longer you entertain, you stay there, you dwell there, you hold on to it. Things that are not from God. That's hindering God from doing what he wants to do in your life. Disobedience delays our destiny. If you don't believe me, ask the children of Israel. They can tell you 40 years of sad stories. Why? Disobedience. Let me read to you the same verse in the Passion Translation. I am consumed with a fiery passion to keep your house pure. That's, that's talking about Jesus. I am consumed with a fiery passion. You know, we talk about passion all the time, and we think that means jumping and running and shouting, you know, and hollering hallelujah. Uh, that's just a small part of it. Here he said he had passion to keep the house of God pure. A passion for purity. So the fire, the fire of God, not only will purge our hearts, it will cleanse our homes. Amen. Now, you know, we just had the announcements a moment ago, and of course we show like uh, different slides and stuff like that before the service begins. So uh, I think maybe before the, we began this morning, I, I wasn't here, but you, I didn't see it, but you know, we post on the projector screen a slide. You don't have to put it up right now. I'm just giving an example. We post on the projector screen a slide that says, please silence your cell phone during the service, right? But you know, we've never made an announcement or never posted on the projector screen something like this, please do not drink alcohol during the praise and worship. If you are slugging down modu, we would ask that you please put your bottle on the floor. We never do that. Huh? We never say, um, we would ask that you please put out your cigarette before we pray this morning. Please do not engage in sexual immorality while Pastor John is preaching. We never say that. We never make that kind of announcement. Why? Because we cannot imagine anybody doing that, right? Even the worst wretch, the worst reprobate that might happen to walk in the door, and we're glad that reprobates are here. Don't raise your hand. We want them to hear the word of God. But even the worst character that would ever show up would never think of doing such a thing, right? Okay, so here's the point. If you'd be ashamed to do it here, in this house, don't do it at your house. God don't live in this room. He does live in you, right? You see people, kind of religious people, like, you know, they'll smoke outside the church, in certain, I mean, not in Nagaland so much, but in some places you go, you know, you know, and then they'll put out their cigarette before they go in the church. But your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. Right? So you're blowing smoke in the face of Christ every day. <laughs> Thank you for your enthusiasm. Amen. What God wants for this house, he wants for yours as well. Now, I know a Christian couple, wonderful couple, um, they're kind of older now, but they lived in the country of Saudi Arabia for several years. And I had dinner at their house one night, and they told me, this couple told me, that the Saudis have a saying. Now, this is, this is not what I'm saying. This is what the people in Saudi Arabia say. They say, Allah, of course, that's what they call their God, Allah can't see over a 10-foot wall. It's a very popular saying. Next time you're in Riyadh, you can just go around and shake hands and say, Allah, can't see over a 10-foot wall. They say, you're right, brother. No, um, actually, this is what they mean by that. What they mean by that is, now out in public, walking about town, you have to appear completely upright and religious, following all the rules of Islam. You have to do that. But inside your home, you know, inside the boundary wall, inside, you know, your sitting room, anything goes. That's what they mean. And these friends told me, and that's exactly what happens. I don't, I don't mean everybody in Saudi Arabia. I don't know. But they said a lot of times inside their homes, 
Yeah, alcohol galore. Supposedly, you know, they're all bending toward Mecca, but you know, inside their homes, anything goes. You know, drug-fueled parties, oh yeah. Orgies, pornography, oh yeah, anything goes because they say Allah can't see over a 10-foot wall. But of course, truthfully, it isn't really God they're trying to deceive, it's society. And it's really themselves. He who would attempt to deceive God only fools himself. The Bible says this, talking about the true and living God, in Hebrews 4.13, and no creature is hidden from his sight. So that means you can pull down the curtains, you can turn off the lights, it don't make no difference. No creature, it's real quiet today, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So that means, you know, he sees it all. You might be embarrassed if I walked in the room and you're there slugging away on a marijuana joint. But all things are open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Reputation is what people think you are. Character is what God knows you are. Reputation is who you appear to be in public. Character is who you really are behind closed doors. Now, we can all be convicted together. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Amen. So, Jesus did not paint the exterior wall of the temple that day. He didn't just give it a nice whitewash. Oh, that's better. Because he's not interested in cosmetic changes. He cleansed the inside. Because God wants his house and your house to be a place of purity and peace. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Having said that, let's look at another scripture. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So I was, I was walking around my compound one night and this verse just came to me and it just, it just really struck me. So more than merely wishing for peace, we must pursue peace or strive for peace. Yeah, it's, it's, it's easy to say, yeah, I, I just wish there was more peace in my home. Pray for me. That's so easy, isn't it? It's just so easy. It doesn't really mean anything. This verse doesn't say, ask your friends to pray that there would be peace in your home. It says, pursue it. Strive for it. The Greek word, New Testament was written in Greek. The Greek word is dioko. Sounds like a Naga name. Is Brother Dioko here? (laughs) Dioko. And it actually literally means to flee, to run from. Interesting. Now, it's not always possible. It's not always possible to live in peace with everyone. You may want peace, but the other person may want war. It's not always possible to live in peace with everyone. But as far as it depends on you, make every effort to live in harmony with others by avoiding strife and contention. Amen? As much as it depends on you, from your side, do everything in your power to live in harmony with others, avoiding strife, avoiding contention. Now, after the service is over, maybe you're milling in the foyer. If somebody points to a man and says, that fellow has COVID, I bet many of you would immediately turn and briskly walk away in the other direction. That's called dioko. I said, that's called dioko. That's what this word means. Hallelujah. That should be our response 
to discord and dissension, not only in the church, but in your family. Dioko. Sorry. I'm leaving. Hallelujah. Think about this. And it's interesting, Pastor Jeppe referred to the scripture. I didn't know she was going to do that. But it's interesting that though David was a man after God's own heart, the Lord did not allow him to build the temple. Ever think about that? I mean, he, David was a king. David was a prophet. David was, David was a God chaser, a psalmist. But God did not allow David to build the temple. He said, you have been a man of war. And the one who builds my house must be a man of peace. So your son Solomon will build it instead. If you want to build the house of God, you must be a peace lover. I don't care how anointed you are. I don't care how much of the scripture you know. You must be a man or woman who loves peace. Hallelujah. Now, several years ago, I heard one minister speaking in a large meeting. And, and by the way, I, 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 I highly esteem and regard uh, this Bible teacher, this preacher. I mean, he's a wonderful man of God. I, I mean, no disrespect to him, but it just comes to my mind. And, and this minister said this. He said um, several years ago, I told Brother Hagen, several years ago, I, I was talking to Brother Hagen and I told him what I believed about a certain passage of scripture or about a particular doctrine or something like that. And he said that Brother Hagen listened patiently to what I said and nodded his head and then said, that's very interesting. I'll have to think about that. And then this minister said, unfortunately, Brother Hagen died. He went home to be with the Lord. He died before he had a chance to tell everybody that he agreed with me. But Brother Hagin didn't agree with him. Brother Hagin was just being agreeable. Why? Because he was a man who pursued peace. He avoided unnecessary confrontation and splitting theological hairs. Meanwhile, we have some yahoos. Soon as the service is over, they'll rush right up and say, it's not Ephesians 3.7, it's Ephesians 3.17. Well, good for you. <laughs> They're looking for some fault. Some people don't want to come to church because if they have a pimple on their nose, 12 people say, what's that? That's none of your business, actually. <laughs> right? They're trying to find something wrong with others. They, they call it discernment. They say, I have a gift. Well, go home and use that gift in the mirror. And you'll, and you'll turn it off and you'll never use it again. Is only Pastor Jeppy enjoying this message? I'm, I'm not feeling the love right now. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's better to lose the argument and win your brother than to win the argument and lose your brother. Now, there's some really ignorant husbands and they'll just verbally demolish their wife. Reduce her to a pile of rubble. <laughs> I proved I'm right. Aha, that shows you I'm right. No, that shows you're a big jerk. You're a knothead. And you need a lot of mercy. What have you, what have you proven? Nothing. Come on, smile or something like that. Nod. Don't look around. Just look straight ahead. Praise the Lord. Matthew 5, 9. Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the troublemakers. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, this verse does not say, Jesus did not say, blessed are those who want peace. That's commendable, but that's not what he said. He said, blessed are those who make peace. 
Let's pray for peace in Nogland. Let's start with you. Let's start with your home. It's so easy to talk about something out there, an abstract thought, some, 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 some idea. Forget about that. Let's talk about where you live. You say you want peace, and yet you're making war on everybody that you meet. I don't mean with an AK-47. I mean with this weapon, which has killed more men than any gun ever has. Blessed. The word blessed can mean fortunate. It can mean prosperous. Did you know that? The word blessed can also mean prosperous. Or one definition is happy with divine favor. So you better look happy. So the reason why some Christians are not experiencing more of God's grace or maybe not even really walking in the fullness of prosperity, why they have financial troubles is they're not pursuing peace. Some Christians, of course, we know they're not here this morning. Too bad. Some Christians, look to your left real quickly. Some Christians don't run from strife. They run to it. They're attracted to an argument the way a mosquito is attracted to a light bulb. Hmm? Some Christians, some people revel in strife. Quarreling is a sport to them. What's your game? Football? Cricket? Hmm? Strife. (laughs) Some people, especially in the beloved country of India, some people will get into an argument with a total stranger on a train just to pass the time. (laughs) That's not how the Lord wants you and me to live. Pursue peace with all men. Do your best to be agreeable. By the way, another thought. Isn't it funny in India, when it comes to the truth, the truth of God's word, people are all noncommittal. Well, you know, you believe what you believe, and I just believe what I believe. And, you know, hey, we totally get along together. But when it comes to your opinions, over my dead body will I change my mind. <laughs> You're confused. Your opinion is just simply the way you see it. God's word is the way he sees it. You need to live or die by God's word and how you think about it, your opinion, whether Dev is the best bowler or not, doesn't really matter. That's just somebody's opinion. Maybe they're right, maybe they're not right. I don't know. Amen? Now, if peacemakers will be called sons of God, what will strife makers be called? Want to take a stab at that one? They'll be called sons of the devil. It is a sad thing. It's a really sad thing when you realize that you have been used by the enemy. That's a sad thing. When it suddenly dawns on you, I I have actually yielded to a wrong spirit, a wrong influence. It wasn't God by sowing seeds of discord among brothers, separating close friends, breaking up happy homes, or splitting churches. Be a unifier. Be a reconciler. Don't be a divider. That's being godly. That's why people will say, that's just like God. Sons of God. Amen? Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The Greek word, again, I'm going to give you a little technical stuff here, sorry. The Greek word translated rule means to sit as an umpire. To sit as an umpire. 
All right, so how? You know, a lot of times our biggest problems are people problems. You know, we can talk about rebuking the devil, but let's talk about rebuking your mother-in-law. A lot of our problems are people problems, right? It's, it, it's relationship difficulties. You know, I'm just this wonderful person. I love the Lord, but this monster that God has brought into my life, this thorn in the flesh, you know, how do I deal with this person, right? How many of you, I don't know if you want to raise your hand or not, how many of you have a difficult person in your life? At home, at work, in the marketplace. Huh? How many of you, you are that difficult person? May I see your hand? <laughs> Those around you said, yeah, that's, 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 he's, that's correct. <laughs> so how do I deal with people? How do I know what to say or how to say it or what to do or maybe what not to do in any circumstance? Let the pre, uh, let the peace of Christ in your heart decide. Let the peace of Christ in your heart decide. Now, I do not know much about cricket. You know, it's, I, I, you know it's, I'm not that familiar with, with it. I know the basic premise of the game. But one thing that always amuses me is this. The way the players try to convince the umpire that the batsman is out. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like they threw the ball and I don't know, hit the wicket or something or I don't know, like that. And they, and they, they want the umpire to say he's out. He's got to go, right? He's, he's finished. And so they'll, they'll do several things. They'll like go. <laughs> right? The different facial expressions. They'll even do this kind of like pretend celebratory type thing, hoping that the umpire will join in. You know, so they're like, oh, all right, all right, we won. <laughs> right, 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 right. I find it really curious. It's kind of interesting to me. But what's also interesting is no matter what kind of antics they do, he doesn't say a word. <laughs> they're waiting for this. Instead, they get this. right? So in other words, he's not, I mean, as far as I can tell, I don't know, he's not evidently persuaded, even though everybody in the grandstands is shouting, he's out, he's out, he's out, even though all the team members, you know, are dancing, doesn't make any difference to him. And he doesn't say a word. He doesn't say, okay, guys, from my vantage point, it looked like he was out, but then again, no, he doesn't say anything. He gestures. If the player is out, he just kind of goes, you know, very simple. You don't need to hear a voice. You don't need some thundering voice from the heavens. This is what you are to say to your husband today. Because that's probably not going to happen. But if something doesn't sit well with you on the inside, if it doesn't feel right in your spirit, that's the peace of Christ indicating. No, that's, that's out. That's out of bounds for you. That's not what you're to do. And you can have this long, persuasive argument. Don't you think I'm right? After all, let me tell you my story. And, you know, people who are bitter, they love it. They have a story. So let me tell you my story. And, you know, he did this and she did this. And then you did Or you can pretend like what you did is okay. Yeah, you know, I threw a knife at him. But, but actually, you know, I think actually that may have helped him more than anything I've ever done. King Saul threw a spear. You know. But it doesn't change the umpire's mind, does it? He's still saying, no, that's out. Listen to that. Listen to that. Now, another example. Uh, I have been driving uh, you know, a vehicle since I was 16 years old. So that's been like more than 10 years ago. And so at any rate, <laughs> and I can drive... I can drive in my sleep. In fact, that's actually happened, not here in Nagaland, but in America where I suddenly woke up and I was, you know, I was driving on the highway. Anyways, <laughs> but I, I can change gears without even thinking about it, right? 
without even, I don't, I don't, this, it's like this hand belongs to some other person. I'm just looking, what's he doing, you know? But, but I, I drive, and, and maybe you'll appreciate this if you know how to drive. I drive by the way it feels. How do I know when to change gears? Well, there's not a voice from the dashboard that says, John, change gears now. There's I don't have some kind of red light that says, you know, next gear, next gear, shift down, shift down. I don't have it, maybe you do, but I don't have that in my car. It just doesn't feel right. So, you know, if I'm in fifth gear, right? Fifth gear, top gear, and I'm traveling 10 kilometers per hour, my car starts bucking and sputtering like it's going to stall out any minute, right? It, it, it don't feel right. You don't have to be a Formula One driver to know something's wrong. You're in the wrong gear, right? Likewise, when I am in the wrong mood, now I would like to tell you that never happens, but the staff is here. <laughs> My wife is here. When I'm in the wrong mood, when I'm in the wrong mode, when I've said the wrong things and I'm doing the wrong things, it feels like that inside to me, like, <clears throat> like your spirit saying, you're in the wrong gear, you're in the wrong gear. It doesn't feel right. Why? I don't have peace. I don't have peace. With that in mind, let's look at another scripture. James 1, 19 and 20. We have to make it funny because if I don't make it funny, you know, you might get real angry and at me. James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. I'll read this in the NIV. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now, what we like to do is we like to announce that it's the righteous indignation of Almighty God. It was actually the Holy Ghost that threw those plates and cups at you. <laughs> I was anointed to yell at you. No, no, most of the time it's not righteous anger from God. It's just carnal wrath from us, you see. When I speak out of anger, which sadly happens more often than it should. When I speak out of anger, I nearly always say the wrong thing. No, you don't have to say amen to that. I'm just, I'm just telling you. When I speak out of anger, I nearly always, maybe 99 times out of 100, say the wrong thing or I say the right thing the wrong way. Am I alone here today? If you have a grievance with your spouse, with your children, with your, your colleagues, with your fellow church members, it's actually best to cool off first. Be slow to speak. When you're, anger, when you're angry, it's like, boom. Let me tell you something right now. But, but, but usually you're gonna make a mistake. Amen? With that in mind, just a thought that comes to me. Don't discipline your children in anger. You who are parents, and some of you are future parents, don't discipline your children in anger. When you do that, most likely the punishment will far outweigh the offense. You're just angry. You're, you're just smacking the tar out of that kid because you're angry. But it really, it really wasn't that big a deal. You're making too much of it. Also, we're talking about peace in the home. Don't take out your frustrations on a little child. Parents, I'm talking to you. Don't take out your frustrations on that child. It's not his fault that you have a cranky boss. It's not her fault that the traffic was really bad on the way home from the office. It's not his fault, right? You just want to unload on somebody, and he happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. That's not right, right? If you're having a bad day, and your child has done something where he needs correction, Maybe you should, like, like they do, is it WWE or WWF wrestling? You know, like tag team. Maybe you should tag your spouse, and she can come in the ring, and you can sit this one out. I'm just ready to kill somebody, and here comes a little kid. So maybe like, oh, no, no, uh, honey, you handle this one. I'm going to go soak my head in some water. 
get some fresh air. Amen? Because we want to correct the child so he will improve. We don't want to crush his little spirit. Amen? Amen? Glory to God. Jesus said, beware that you do not cause one of these little ones to fall away. Beware. Because their angels see the face of my Father in heaven. Be careful. He said, be careful. How you treat those kids, be careful. Because God sees that. What if God treated you the same way you treat your kids? Well, you would just be a little greasy spot on the pavement right now. You wouldn't even be in the land of the living anymore. <laughs> right? So, so be, be kind as your heavenly father is kind to you. Let's go back. I'm, I'm coming into the final stretch now. No one says this has to be pleasant. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 again. Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for peace with everyone. That includes Pastor John. Strive for peace with everyone. Strive for peace with me. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So not only should we strive for peace, we should pursue holiness. Unholy eyes will never see a holy God. Now, when we use the word see, S-double-E, we often use it in different ways, as does the Bible. Like um, a church member might say to me, can I see you tomorrow? What they mean is, can I have an appointment to meet with you in person and talk with you or converse with you? Can I see you tomorrow? Well, I could say, don't you see me right now? No, that's not what they mean. They mean, can I meet with you, right? Um, maybe we would say to a single person, maybe not. Maybe we would say to a single person, are you seeing someone these days? Well, they could say, yeah, I have 20-20 vision. I see people all over the place. But, <laughs> but of course, what we mean is, are you in a serious relationship with someone or something like that, right? Then when we understand something, we might say, I see, I see, right? Without holiness, we cannot meet with God. No one will see the Lord. We cannot have a meaningful conversation with him, an exchange of his heart. Lack of holiness produces lack of revelation. Have you noticed that when people are not in fellowship with the Father, when they're kind of like, you know, half backslidden, they don't get fresh insight from the Holy Ghost. In fact, they start losing what understanding they once had. Right? So we could paraphrase this verse in Hebrews, Hebrews 2, 12, 14. We could paraphrase it this way. Without holiness, no one will hear from God. I really need to hear from the Lord. I have to make a decision. Should I do this? Should I not do this? Should I stay here? Should I go? Without holiness, no one will hear from God. Without holiness, no one can walk with God. Praise the Lord. And, and John the apostle says the same thing, just in different words. 1 John 1.6. First epistle of John 1.6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. To walk in darkness does not mean load shedding in Dimapur. I think we're running the generator now, right now, as, as for, for example. To walk in darkness means to practice sin. So just as we cannot see anything without light, we cannot see God while living wrong. We will not experience intimacy or communion with God's spirit until we are determined to live a life that's pleasing to him. Not pleasing to society. That's really really secondary. That's really way down the list. 
Not trying to please me. I'm not your judge. Live a life that pleases him. If you are living a life that pleases him, not everybody else will be pleased with you, but that's okay. That's, that's their problem. That's not yours. Amen? But if you're just living to please people, then there's a really good chance, there's a good chance you're not really pleasing him. Oh, we could preach another sermon right now, couldn't we, right? How many people come to church and they're ready to shout, hallelujah, they're ready to jump up and down and shout, and they glance over their shoulder and see, you know, their colleague from the college, their friend from the workplace, their next-door neighbor, glory to God, how you doing? You know, the praise and worship leader says, let's all just dance before the Lord, and he kind of... Why the mute response? Because you are looking at that person. What will they think of me? If I just really just praise God with abandon, what will all these people think about me? What will God think about you if you don't? See, your friends and neighbors whom you can see are more real to you than a God you cannot see. Amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 to 16. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, Paul wrote this letter by the Holy Spirit. The people who were reading this for the first time, they were primarily farmers. That was the most common occupation, you see. So they know what a yoke is. A yoke is a harness for a pair of animals. So to be unequally yoked means to be joined to someone. To be committed to a person in a relationship where that person is going in the opposite direction than you. You're going this way, the other person's going that way. So no farmer would pair an elephant with a donkey. Right? The elephant will step on the donkey and then go wherever he wants to go, right? So it's talking about not being committed in a wrong relationship. And notice the words that are used in this passage real quickly. He uses the word partnership, fellowship, accord, share, agreement. Now, on a superficial level, this is very important. On a superficial level, you can associate with all sorts of people in this world. On a superficial level, you can, and and you have to, associate with all sorts of people in this world. Otherwise, you would have to leave this world. You'd have to climb Mount Saramati and just live in isolation by yourself. But God doesn't want you to do that. You can visit Mount Saramati, but you gotta come back down, right? So you have have to mingle. you You have to associate with people, you know, in this world. But on a deeper level, you can only fellowship with other believers, You can only fellowship with other believers. And you cannot enter into a shared life with someone who is not of God without doing damage to your relationship with God. Let me say it again. You cannot enter into a shared life with someone who is not of God without that relationship doing damage to your relationship with God. You don't think so? How many of you would consider yourself to be just a friend of the world? Can I see your hand? I'm I'm just the world's friend. The world is my friend and I'm the world's friend. I'm glad you didn't raise your hand You probably think it's a trick question anyways. But James 4.4 says this, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world 
makes himself an enemy of God. So, the point is this. has everything to do with peace and purity in your home and your life. We must be selective and and intentional in choosing who we connect with. We must be intentional and selective who we connect with. Not everybody can be your best friend. There's a lot of people that shouldn't. Bad company corrupts good morals. You know the old saying, you can't choose your family, but you can choose your friends. So choose wisely. Let's go on. I'm almost done here. Let's continue reading verse 17 and 18. Therefore, listen to this, therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. One translation says, I will embrace you. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. We live in this world, but we're not of this world. We must be separate. There should be, there must be a distinction between the way you live and the way everybody in this world lives. Why would you try to convince the world to be as you are if you have become completely as they are? If there's no distinction, what is the value of becoming a Christian? Hallelujah. So notice this verse says, if we live a sanctified life, and the word sanctified means separate. If we live clean lives, God will do things for us that only a father can do. And we will enjoy the full benefits of being in the family of God. Now you might say, but God's already my heavenly father. And um, I'm already a child of God. In fact, because of the blood of Jesus, I'm already holy and righteous. And that's true. Amen. That's right. That's, that's true. Amen. But I'm not done reading. Paul didn't write 2 Corinthians in chapter and verse. That was put in later. Notice the very next verse. It's actually 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. He's still talking about the same thing. 7 verse 1, since we have these promises, what promises? The ones we just read. Since we, who's we? We believers. Since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. We should remove anything from our life that pollutes our spirit, our body. And he says, by doing this, we bring holiness to completion. King, New King James says, perfecting holiness. Yeah, you are holy because of the blood. But we perfect holiness by living that way. You are righteous because of faith in Christ. That's true. But unrighteousness will negate the effects and the benefits of being righteous. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So, um, you're tired of looking at me. I'm tired of looking at you. Um, <laughs> so here we have a bottle of water, okay? And um, hang on just a second. This looks like... Mm, Yep, this is good water. Praise the Lord. So this is not just from the tap. It's not from the faucet. I hope not. <laughs> Ushers. This is bottled water, right? This has been processed. They didn't just scoop this out of the nala. This has been, this has been through some kind of process. It has been cleansed. Impurities have been removed, right? It doesn't have a label, I think they took the label off. But if it had a label, it would probably say something like 100% pure water, uh, reverse osmosis or something like that. It's, 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 it's perfectly safe for you to drink this water, right? It's, it's pure water. Now, just for fun, this is a little bottle of ink. What happens if I just put a drop 
Now, if you've ever been in Argenics, you've already seen this before, <laughs> probably a hundred times. <laughs> this is for the big kids. So <laughs> what happens if I just, or maybe covenant kids, how many covenant kids are here today? If I just put a drop in this bottle, I hope I can do this. Yeah, well, I don't know if you can see this. Camera, you have to zoom in real close. I don't know if you can see this, but notice it's changing color real quick. That was fast. <laughs> I didn't pour in a liter of ink. I put in one and a half drops. Man, it's no longer. How many of you are thirsty? Can you, would you raise your hand? I need, a, I need someone to, as a guinea pig. I mean, someone to help me. It's no longer pure, is it? Now, you know, you could still have the same label on the outside that says 100% pure. But that doesn't change my mind because I can see through the bottle. I see what's in the bottle and that's not how water's supposed to look. Honey, you can wear a cross around your neck three foot long. <laughs> you can carry a family Bible under your elbow on the way to church on Sunday morning. I don't care what kind of label you got. God can see through you just like I can see through this bottle. <laughs> I don't want to drink water that's almost pure. This bottled water is 65% pure. Uh, no, that's not good enough. What about the other 35%? I don't want to drink water that's not pure. And God doesn't want a heart that's almost pure either. Just one little drop. Just one, just one lustful thought. Boom. Just one ugly, unkind, selfish word. Just one little envious attitude. And we have a problem. So what should we do? It says, let us cleanse ourselves. Cleanse ourselves. Well, if we sin, we, we can't cleanse ourselves. Nobody can wash their own heart but we can come to Christ and receive forgiveness. Aren't you glad that we have a faithful high priest? We can come to him any time of day and right away receive cleansing from him. But there's something else we can do. We can put some distance between us and the temptation. We can separate ourselves from influences that aren't very helpful for us. If you have a weakness for alcohol, don't do the slow walk by the booze joints. Don't do that. Dioko. <laughs> Get away from that. Right? If you, have, if you have a difficulty, you know, in the era of pornography, don't wait till everybody's asleep and the lights are out and you're there. Click, click. Oh, what's that? No, 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 no. <laughs> do, not, do not trust your flesh. Amen. Separate yourself. You say that, oh, Lord, I, I want your presence in my life. I want more of your grace. Then don't chase after the person God has removed from your life. Amen. Let him clean house. Would you stand with me to your feet today? Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Well